Fellowship Hall and online today, I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward and hand out Bibles if you'd like to use one today during the service. Our sermon series is called Trust Issues because a life of faith is all about trusting that God is at work in our lives. And sometimes it can be hard to trust when we're in the middle of a struggle. But it doesn't take much scripture reading to discover something about God, that God loves the underdog. All through scripture, time and time again, God chooses people that no one would ever expect to show his power and his grace to the world. And maybe you've experienced that in your own life too. Today is All Saints Day. It's a day we celebrate Jesus' work that sinners like us become saints through his grace. And this day is also a day we remember those sinner saints who personally blessed our faith, who've now passed into eternity. So I'd like to invite you to take a moment and think about those, who those people were for you. And I'm going to guess if we were to ask everybody in this room about those people who impacted your faith, they would all be very different from each other. And none of them were perfect. They were all gloriously flawed in their own ways, but all of them God used to help you grow in faith. And today, as we thank God for them, I also want to invite you to think about who are the people that you are blessing in faith right now? Who someday will remember you as the glorious, flawed sinner saint who helped them experience Jesus' love? Now, you might be tempted to think that you have to be a certain kind of person for God to use, that you would never fit into a saint mold. But the truth is, God often calls people to serve him specifically through the unique ways that he's gifted you. When I was growing up, I had some wonderful pastor mentors, huge, towering, booming-voiced men with even bigger hearts. And when one of them suggested that I pray about becoming a pastor myself, I had absolutely zero imagination for that. Because I knew I would never be six foot two with a booming voice, and I really didn't want to be. <laughs> and it took a really long time for me to even wrap my mind around that idea, because I knew pastor would look so different wearing my shoes. But those mentors of mine weren't imagining that Jesus would want to use me in the exact same way that he used them. They had an imagination that Jesus would want to use me as me, which of course would reflect a whole different aspect of the Lord's heart. See, sometimes what we could never imagine God would use in us is the very thing he's waiting for us to offer to his glory. And when we trust God, not only with our weakness, but also with our strengths, we can end up with some amazing kinds of stories, like the story of Deborah in the Old Testament. And I have to say, as a woman in ministry, Deborah has always been one of my favorite biblical heroes. So I have to ask, has anyone here ever heard a sermon on Deborah before? Raise your hand. Yeah, not surprised. <laughs> we don't usually spend a whole lot of time in the book of Judges. It was kind of a messed up time in Israel's history. But it does have a lot of amazing stories of people God used. And Deborah was a saint of God who, daring to trust God's calling for her, boldly stepped into leadership to bring God's word to the people so he could bless them in a time of trouble, changing the course of her people's history by drawing them back to God and to each other. And so if you don't know who Deborah was before, you'll know her by the end of the day. 
And hopefully you also know a little bit more too about how our God works in us and in you to build his kingdom. So if you have a Bible with you, please turn to Judges chapter 4. In your Quest Bible, it's found on page 339. And we've fast-forwarded now from the time of Moses in the wilderness with the people into the book of Judges. And there God has settled his people into the promised land, but the people were not living up to their promises to God. What a shock, huh? <laughs> in Judges chapter 4, we learn the Israelites had turned away from the Lord once again, and now were being oppressed by the Canaanites at the hand of a cruel army commander named Sisera. And if we jump ahead into Judges 5, where Deborah is telling her people's story, we can piece together what things had been like. In Judges 5, 6, and 7, it says, The highways were abandoned. Travelers took winding paths. Villagers in Israel would not fight. Or as another translation put it, village life ceased. Farmers were afraid to farm. Merchants were afraid to travel with their goods, and nobody wanted to stand up because they knew they would just get cut down. Their enemies were strong and brutal, and the people of Israel were not in any way united to stand up against them. Because this time of Judges was kind of an identity crisis time for them. Even though they'd settled into the land God promised, they hadn't actually committed to being God's people. They still called themselves God's people, but in reality, they'd started following the ways of all the cultures around them rather than God's. They had priests and prophets, which they mostly ignored, and no king. And since they weren't choosing to follow God's ways, they had no real structure either. Everybody was moving in a different direction, following their own idols. So when the enemy started to oppress them, they realized how scattered they had become and that maybe that wasn't a good thing. And eventually they wised up and prayed to God for help. Now here's what I imagine about this situation. If in this situation the people had tried to organize a resistance in the usual way, raising up some military leader with a cry of, we're not going to take it anymore. If they had tried to mobilize people or start building weapons, they would have been noticed and immediately shut down by the enemy, probably with a lot of bloodshed. If people were afraid to farm, who was going to stand up to lead that kind of initiative? So what do you do? It would seem like a hopeless situation until God introduces us to his secret weapon with a surprising sentence now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. Because it was true, any usual leader who stepped up that time would have immediately been mowed down. So instead, God raised up a different kind of leader, one who would fly under the cultural radar. It would be under the leadership of a wise, discerning, and prayerful woman that God's people would be rallied to remember whose they were and be brought into a plan not of their own making, but into God's plan to set them free. Because God knew the enemy would automatically underestimate and dismiss the leadership of a woman as any kind of threat to them. So God raised up Deborah to bring his people his voice. Now, if you're like me, you are dying for some backstory on this. Because, I mean, after a long and unbroken Old Testament string of male leadership, all of a sudden up pops Deborah. How did that happen? What brought this woman into this place of unprecedented leadership of God's people? And guess what? Scripture gives us absolutely no explanation for it. <laughs> Which is frustrating and noticeably weird. 
Because in every other case, when someone unusual comes to power, like Joash, the boy king at age seven, or Athaliah, the evil queen who tried to have him killed and rule in his place, for stories like that, Scripture gives us all kinds of backstory about how this happened. Messed up stories having to do with kingly bloodlines and murder and political intrigue. But there's no such thing as a line of succession in Judges. We know that Deborah's leadership isn't about her bloodline because the system of kings hasn't been set up yet. And the ju- in the judges that God raises up in this season, both before her and after her, have no connection to one another whatsoever. The only thing they have in common is that God calls them. And we know it's not because of Deborah's marriage, because if Lapidoth, her husband, was the big deal, wouldn't he be the judge instead of Deborah? He's mentioned as a reference point. And we know that Deborah isn't made a judge because of her wealth or her beauty either, because where those things are significant factors, they are always mentioned. No, the only things we know about Deborah are, number one, she is a prophet. She was married to a guy named Lapidoth, that people came to her to get their disputes settled, and she was recognized in a largely patriarchal society to be the leader of their nation. And how that happens is unclear to us because there were no elections for that kind of thing back then and we're given no obvious reason of power or privilege or politics as to why she should be recognized as the leader. We only know that she was. So we can only assume the reason must be at a grassroots level that she was just widely recognized as the best person for the job. And you can imagine to overcome all the bias of their culture, she must have been incredibly gifted, insightful, and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. That people trusted what she spoke truly was from God. And because God was giving her a message she needed to share for the good of her people, Deborah dared step up into a role no woman had ever had before. Now, this is truly an amazing story, unapologetically presented smack dab in the middle of an Old Testament book of Judges. So let's take a look at that passage, Judges 4, 4 through 5. Now, Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. Now, in this chapter of history, I believe what God was doing was solidifying a foundation of trust through Deborah, his under-the-radar secret weapon leader. But when that was there, when the time was right, the very next passage shows us what God would do, that God revealed to Deborah a very specific, strategically complete battle plan, his plan to set their people free. But since coordinating a battle plan was not in Deborah's wheelhouse, she knew it wasn't in the best interest of her nation for her to be the one to lead that part. So she immediately sought out the one who would best implement God's plan. She sent for a man named Barak, a leader in the tribe of Naphtali, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And Deborah told him what she'd heard from God in Judges 4, 6. The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, specific number of men from specific tribes, and lead them up to Mount Tabor, a specific place. You do that part, Barak. And then in verse 7, we hear God's part. God said, I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Now, with a plan that specific, 
There didn't have to be a whole lot of lead time to put things together that the enemy could find out about and stop. It would basically be a gather and go type of plan. Now you can imagine that would sound crazy to Barack. <laughs> he basically had two choices at this point. Trust God and trust Deborah that God actually would do this and move out in faith, or choose not to trust and continue to live stuck right where they were. Well, you'd think you'd only have those two options, but Barack came up with option number three, conditional trust with the I blame you escape clause. In verse 8, Barack said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. If I'm going to do this, I'm not going to take the fall if it all goes south. If you really believe this is what God wants, prove it by being right next to me on the battlefield. And her answer in verse 9, certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Into the hands of a woman. You think she's talking about herself, don't you? Nope. There's another heroic woman coming up in this story, so stay tuned. So Deborah rides into battle with Barak, and when God tells her it's go time, she gives the signal, and Barak charges down the mountain with an Israelite army led by the princes, the leading men of each of the participating tribes, and those princes are each leading the willing volunteers of the tribe's young men, who are probably armed, Judges 5.8 tells us, not with shields and spears, because they didn't have any of those, but just farm implements, bravery, and faith. And by the time they reach the bottom of the hill, God has routed Sisera's troops, and Sisera himself is running away on foot. And the Israelite army sets out in pursuit because they know that brutal man would rally against them. But none of them take him down. No, the one who takes down the mighty dreaded Sisera, who'd been leading the oppression of their people for 20 years, ends up being a housewife named Jael in whose house Sisera decides he's going to hide out. A woman that Sisera completely underestimates as harmless and helpless to his own demise. If you want the details, go ahead and read it. There are children present, so I'm not going to go into it here. But because of Jael, God's people are once again set free. That farmers are free to farm and merchants are free to sell. Everyone is free to worship and they become united again as the people of a God who loves them enough to set them free through the most unexpected people. And what does Deborah as a leader do in this moment? She sings. And not only that, she drags Barack over to sing a duet with her. <laughs> A song of praise, celebrating how God worked to save them by using the willing hearts of so many people. And their voices, male and female, are united together in that song of victory. Judges 5, that's all it is. It's a song of praise. And this is what moves their hearts to thankfulness. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. What they're saying is, we celebrate you. Good job, princes of each tribe. Way to dare to lead. Good job, fighting men. Your courage leads us to praise the Lord. And Lord, we praise you most of all because none of this would have happened without you. You're the one who's called us into your plan. So to honor you, Lord, we are going to celebrate each and every part. And that's how the song goes on. Way to go, Deborah. Way to go, Barak. 
And Deborah sings in verse 9, My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. And next they go on to praise the nobles for their part, and they praise the tribes that stepped up. And what was with you guys who didn't step up? And then in verse 24, most blessed of women be Jael, the hero of the day. Blessed be the heroic housewife of Heber the Kenite, the blessed, most blessed of tent-dwelling women. This song of praise celebrates that God used the obedience, the trust, the faith of all of them to bring the victory. And without all of them doing their part, this day would not have ended that way. And Judges 5 ends by telling us, and the land was at peace for 40 years. And that's the story of Deborah. It's a pretty wonderful gem, isn't it? But it's more than just a great story. I think it's full of all kinds of truths about how God's kingdom is meant to work. So here are four lessons I think we learn from the leadership of Deborah. To be a leader in God's kingdom, you have to know, number one, only God is king. That the kingdom will only advance when there's no confusion on that point. The first step toward leading any kind of progress in faith is always to listen to him, to his word, to his voice in prayer. So if you feel stuck, I would suggest starting here to ask, is God really your king? Is Jesus really Lord of your heart? Are you intentionally listening for what he has to say to you through his word and through prayer? Because it always, always starts with him. And number two, to dare to act on what God says. Scripture tells us we're not just to listen to the word, but to do what it says. That faith only grows when we put it in action. And when Jesus is told that his, mother's and, his mother and brothers are looking for him, he answers, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You see, the family of God moves forward together when we follow our heavenly Father. And together is the key word there, which leads us to the third point, to activate the troops that God has gifted different people to carry out different parts of his plan. And no one leader is called to carry every part of it. And God intentionally designed things so his people would have to work as a team for his kingdom purposes to be accomplished. Because community, love for one another, is part of what he wants to teach us. Romans 12, 3 through 8 says, For each, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You see, God has given each of us different gifts to use. And as the family of faith, we're called to be part of a team and to use them. And not only that, but to help encourage one another both to see and to use those gifts in themselves also. Which leads us to number four, to celebrate each part, underestimating no one. Because every farmer, every housewife, every merchant and laborer, every heart matters 
in this kingdom. And each of our parts to play matter because God uses every part. And that's how he moves his kingdom forward. And that's how it looked back then. And now as the Holy Spirit has ignited Jesus' saving work in each of us, that is certainly how God's kingdom works today. To use the unexpected, it has always been a favorite tactic of our God. And as Christians, we ought to know that better than anyone. Because how God chose to save us when we were oppressed by the enemy of sin and death, when we had no weapons we could wield against our opponent, when we were scattered in sin like sheep without a shepherd, God himself stepped into our world. Jesus, God the Son, became a peasant carpenter, son of an unmarried mother, a person with no earthly politics, power, or position, and his love led him to the cross for us. And all the enemy saw was the Son of God, helpless and completely underestimated who he was dealing with. Satan struck down Jesus and crowed over his victory until three days later, our Jesus rose from the dead, King of kings and Lord of lords, God's truest secret weapon. And now Jesus calls you and me to be part of his mission to save and restore every heart by changing each heart behind the scenes one by one. And you can bet this God will never underestimate the power of what he can do through you. So how do we respond to this? Today is All Saints Day, and we'll be taking time to light candles to thank God for and remember those people whose lives have helped light the way for us in faith. But since we're also called to activate the troops here today, I'd like to leave you this week with a challenge, that as you light a candle thanking God for the blessing of someone past, take a moment to pray about the people in your life right now. Because if my pastor mentors hadn't taken the time to point out to me where they saw God working in my life, I probably wouldn't be here today. We are all called to be lights of faith, to help light the faith of others. So don't just light a candle to remember. Take a step this week to light a heart and encouragement, to encourage someone about, someone about what you see in them right now. Sing your own song of encouragement and thanks. Celebrate how you see God moving and you'll start to see more and more of what he's doing in you. In Jesus' love and the power of the Holy Spirit, our God wants to use each and every one of us as his secret weapons to draw the world back into his love. So at this moment, turn to the person next to you and tell them you're God's secret weapon. Go. Well, now, I guess the secret's out, right? <laughs> so then we better move. Let's pray. Lord God, you are so good. Thank you for raising us up to be part of your good kingdom by the work of Jesus as our Savior. We pray that you would empower us today to live our part in your kingdom. Light our hearts with your love so that we might help spread that light until every heart knows that you are God and that you are good. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.